This conversation talks about lots of dark things, but generally in quite an abstract way. But we touch on prison, violence, abuse, structural inequalities of many kinds, but not in a graphic or explicit way particularly. But just to flag that up for you, and here's the show. Laughter, I think its most base is relief from Mm. whatever it is. When you're laughing, you're releasing something, a tension, or an awkward laugh when you first meet somebody you don't right. know very well. That's a kind of relief. Or uh, an, an act on stage might build up tension with a setup and relief, and it'll be a relief when the laugh comes. And it's also a relief you get from admitting something to yourself. You're like, oh, yeah, I feel that, and other people feel that too, and you can laugh about that. Or it's the relief from the tension of pushing two ideas together that you haven't put together before. That's a new thought. That's what most jokes are, is a new... It's two things that you otherwise haven't associated that are associated, and that's a new connection. That new connection, that thing forming, that's the relief, and that's the noise that comes out is the laugh. And I think that's how I framed laughter for myself, is that these kind of moments of relief throughout like a process of thinking. And when I think about it that way, and I apply laughter to the hard topics that I want to talk about, and I want to make hard topics easy to talk about, and the only way to do that is through laughter and through that sense of relief, and that builds trust, I think. It all seems fraudulent to me, the way that other people project themselves and the way that I'm projecting myself. Just seems like no one knows what they're doing. Like, and that's fine. It'd be so much nicer if everybody accepted that we just don't know what we're doing in any avenue. And I think grown-ups, grown-ups are grown-up children. Yeah. And we don't know what we're doing. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Fisher. Hello, Fisher. Hi, nice to be here. Did I get that right? Yes. Um, and that's something I, right. That's good. Um, I don't always get names right. Um, and it's something as a host of things. It's become a kind of neurotic problem for me particularly with all of the kind of complications as the more and more I try and check my privilege, the more I worry about why I'm getting things wrong. Right. Um, we just didn't learn how to read them thing. Right. That's right. Yeah. right. And, and so there we go. So the first question I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Uh, I kind of don't. Right. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. Yes, that's interesting. I... <laughs> How it worked was, I was up in Edinburgh, because yeah. I do a bit of comedy, a bit while I'm trying more than a bit, and I'm friends with Tamara Catan, right. and he had gigged for you before, and I yeah. think he's done an episode for you. Yeah, he has, yeah. And he performed on your, um, as soon as I look for the word, the title is completely gone. Oh, at Stand Up Tragedy. There you go. Stand up, he performed on Stand Up Tragedy and said how great it was, and I'd met him at another gig, and he said, oh, he knew I was interested in doing more storytelling stuff, and he said, oh, you should get in touch with Dave and come and do this gig and I got in touch with you and then I was really ill in the last week of Edinburgh when I was supposed to perform for you right and I kind of lay in bed just crying to myself <laughs> and that's how I kind of knew you and then we became Facebook friends and we're chatting back and forth on that on yeah various things and topics and yeah like, yeah just getting involved occasionally with status updates that's kind of how yeah. sometimes it can go on Facebook and debates and things and then right. and then you mentioned oh I should have you on for getting better acquainted I said yes yes you should well yeah because we seem to be like that was the thing we seem to be chiming on stuff like like stuff I'm looking at is similar to some of the stuff you're looking at exactly. um and it's always good to be like it's so rare and, and I don't mean this in a, like a, I'm so special but it's, <laughs> it's so so rare to find people you kind of go oh 
they agree with some of my more complicated political beliefs. Yeah. Like, like oh, on the justice system. Right, That's what right, the criminal justice right. system we got yeah. into. Yeah, and bell hooks and, and stuff like that. We've been talking about, like talking around some of those things. And like, yeah, race and sexuality and uh, gender and stuff was all sort of coming around in what we were talking about. Most of my friends, uh, I love them, but, mm-hmm. you know, our politics will be different and I'm sure our politics are different oh of course but it's nice to find those kind of chiming moments I think particularly on the topic now I've suddenly it's come back to me what we were talking about in the idea of is the prison system obsolete right and And, restorative justice right and there are a lot of I think there are a lot of comments on what you had posted uh saying what would the alternative be etc and I said I chimed in and said oh you should read this book by Angela Davis that says all prisons are a horrible waste of time right. and we should not have them anymore and we should have complete instead of prison reform we should have like the abolition of prisons Right. and I brought that up and I shared that with you which I'm kind of recently have been going more towards because right. I think like the prison system is stupid right I mean it's not I mean it's like I think it's correct to say that it's the prison industrial complex really particularly in America and places where it is completely a business Mm. but in this country not no one is the same extent no but in this country it's on its way yeah uh, and we have our own set of problems right we just don't have as far as I know I don't I haven't read anything out of this country from authors here who are focusing on it in the same way right whereas out there they seem to have kind of even having the terminology of the prison industrial complex, having that terminology and being able to discuss it in those terms yeah. exists. Well, they're for, for, they're for profit, yeah. aren't they? I mean, that's the thing. Whereas in this country, the like the NHS, in theory, the prison system is belonging to the people. In theory. Um, but all of the public sector, and I used to work in the public sector, it, it is becoming less and less... Uh, the reality, right. the theory. Uh, it was a great theory. I like the the idea of the welfare state to a certain extent. I mean, m- m- my politics end up at anarchy. Yeah. Um, okay. Good. Yeah. You're gonna be friends. <laughs> See, that's <laughs> a rare thing to have a response. Yeah. Like normally, when I say I'm an I'm an anarchist, right? People They're are like, like oh, so what do you oh, mean? Yes. They don't like it. No, because <laughs> I think people have a stereotype, and cleverly so. Well done, everyone else, for creating the propaganda around this. Right. And making anarchy out to be people being silly and crazy yeah. and running around the streets. That's not what we mean by anarchy. We no. mean that we can govern ourselves right. because we're humans. Right. And I know I want to have a nice life and I think you want to yeah. have a nice life. So let's work together so we can have a nice life. And it doesn't mean no structures. It means no hierarchical structures. Exactly. And but that's a very different thing. Exactly that. You can have a business run, for example. For I don't know how to explain it in a very... I don't have the eloquence to explain it. Where your boss isn't your boss, he's not a higher level up from you. His skill set is arranging things, so he arranges things, and he arranges for you to do a thing that you're good at that he can't do. Therefore, he's not above you or below you, you're working in tandem. Everything else seems nonsensical to me in relation to the idea that we should all be equal and sharing and everything. It just blows my mind that people are like, capitalism has to be... The right way. It's the only. They they always say it's the best of it's the best worst system, isn't it? And it's like, well, it's the only system that's been running for a long, long time. So how have we seen if it's the best worst system? We've not tried other systems, and in fact, when we've tried other systems, my view is that that part of the problem has been that we've been coming from a point of view of capitalism, and so those systems, and not just capitalism, all of these different systems, um, have become hierarchical. You know, communism was from the beginning run hierarchically and yeah, therefore which is inherently to fail. yeah it doesn't make sense it doesn't even follow what it's what it's intended yeah what its intentions were in the first place as soon as you create the hierarchy 
if you remove that, then you've got everyone just hanging out and being friends. That's right. And I'm really simplifying it a lot because I think for me that's my easiest way of computing what I'm getting. Yeah. At. But I also agree with you when you when you say it to other people, they they look at you like you're a rebellious teenager. Right. Like oh, you're living in a bit of a fantasy. Yeah. You're actually these things are very possible. And I would go so far. <laughs> I don't know if you agree with me on this. I would go so far as to say, like we should find a way to get away from a monetary system yeah definitely oh good yeah <laughs> <laughs> i went to um this anarchist book fair and they held it i can't remember if it was it must have been last year in 2014 and it was held at university and there were a series of talks and different things going on kind of book stands and this really sweet guy who this older gentleman he was giving a speech on an introduction to anarchy to a lot of people and we were there and he started explaining the idea of a gift economy but as soon as he started saying it people who had come to question were immediately kind of on edge, like their hackles were up, and they couldn't understand a world where we wouldn't need money to denote value. Right. Instead of, well, no, this is, I, I want to give this person an education because right. one day I would might want an education. And so we just gift everything to each other. I just don't see that that's... I think it's such a human thing, and the system that we have now is so dehumanising and commodifies everything mm-hmm. that even young people kind of grown into thinking that way and thinking outside of it to what I think is more natural and kind of nice. Yeah. We're tuned to think that that's bad or incorrect or impossible or kindness is impossible. Is right. What is, that's gearing us towards. And that's just crazy to me. No, me too. Okay, good. I mean, I think, and, and, and I mean, it's, and I'm not saying that I don't sometimes support things that are about monetary value. It's like, uh, like I say, ultimately I wouldn't have a state, but the welfare state is better than no state at all for the minute as a transit as a transitionary position and for example universal basic income i think is a a good money-based uh way of starting down a road towards kindness right that's a nice way of thinking of of anarchy that's how i think of anarchy too and i also think of empathy right as being a very important part of it um even more probably important than kindness like i feel like with prisons and with all of these things with these terrible terrible things that human beings do to each other one of the things we have to remember is that they are human beings doing them, which is so hard to articulate uh, because it sounds like you're saying to people who have been uh, hurt that they have to love their people who hurt them they do not they do not that is what empathy is too it's seeing that they should not be expected to do that but there are different ways that we can seek justice as a society around those things things i agree with you so much (laughs) it's like how can we make the least hurt to everyone it's like there may be people that we have to isolate sometimes from other parts of the community but how do we do that in a way that that keeps that person's human rights there as well like i mean that's another thing it's like um why what if we do have to keep you know whatever a sociopath psychopath whatever the term the term or the person that people think we need to keep away is if we have to do that and keep them away why why give them any kind of a why not give them a really nice place to stay Mm. do you know what i mean why take away their humanity humanity? it doesn't matter to us it's not costing us anything well it will in some ways cost us stuff but what, but but what does it give us yeah. to all do that you know with each other and people think that you're wishy-washy like mm. I know people who are like I, you know I, I've been called occasionally like not just for this issue but for, for espousing kind of 
uh, empathy and as a as an ideology like people have called me things like an apologist for evil or whatever or like like as like if even I, that concept right, of evil is inherently wrong to me right the fact that you're saying oh you're an apologist for evil means that they're not understanding what you're saying yeah because what you're what i think you're saying and what i believe so there might be a bit of a differential there is that say for example uh someone violently robs us right now Okay, and me and you were suffering from the pain of the trauma of that event. But at the same time, the abstract bisher is going to think, okay, what's led this person up to the point where they've broken into someone's house and violently robbed right, us? Right. What has brought them to this point? Why have they done that? Why are they not able to operate in a world, in, in that system of empathy and kindness? And I, it, would be, it would suck if someone violently robbed me, so I'm not going to do it to somebody else. What broke along the way for them to not be able to experience that and ex- live in a society where that's not okay to do and therefore the grace of god or whatever there is if or go i right because like that's the thing like it's like this idea that we can't i can see how i can do could do terrible things absolutely. i absolutely can I totally understand how that murder. could yeah, happen like i could do horrible things um exactly and if i was socialized different if i'd had a different journey i i mean i had childhood traumas but they but if they'd have sent me in different directions or whatever yeah. then then i then you know there are so many factors and there's chem and there's you know there's the chemical biology of people's brains and bodies and lives and it's just like and also how you don't stop these problems by the way that we treat them. No, like, absolutely not. We haven't not. stopped it's... them. Like the people I've, I've heard and read about talking about restorative justice have been uh, rape survivors. Talk, mm. and, and, you know, people who've survived terrible, terrible experiences who have looked at the problem and come up and realised that the solution is not is not the justice system as we know it. No. And it's a little bit like the war on drugs, you know, when you look at the war on drugs. What like, does it even mean right, when you the, say war on drugs? The, exactly. Nonsensical. Like people who talk about getting rid of the way that we the way that we have the laws we have around drugs, uh, those people quite often um, will have been police officers or whatever and then I'll have seen I was listening to he's a controversial figure Mm. but I was listening to Johan Hari talk about this on a podcast today and whether or not you agree with Johan Hari or trust him or anything uh, what he's saying is is accurate in this respect that lots of law enforcement officers start at this position of like I want to get rid of drug crime and they realise the way to do that is to legalise drugs like it's not that I don't care about these issues I care about people getting hurt that's why I That's don't believe in prisons. Yeah, it's exactly not, that. Know. Because firstly, when you say I care about people getting hurt, that includes the people who are committing crimes. They're not. They're, but this is something that Angela Davis says, and it's in her Our Prisons Obsolete. She does also a, a talk about the prison industrial complex, and she says there are good and bad people in prison, just like there are good and bad people outside of prison. And that when, once I heard that, it kind of clicked with me that to just shove everybody into prison without any nuance, without any. It's a punishment system, so people on the outside can feel better. At its core, that's what I feel like it's yeah, become. Yeah, yeah. It's not about rehabilitation, because that's not what's happening. We're not rehabilitating people. Right. Prison numbers are rising and rising the population. And there's loads of people in there for reasons that are ridiculous. Yeah. Like, for laws that are not really helpful. But also, I think, like, it's like, if you look at, like, like a lot of the time when you defend these terrible people or the, the idea of defending these terrible people. People get, like, kind of het up about, like, this quid pro quo. So they're like, you say, oh, and not just terrible people, anywhere on the spectrum. So mm. you say, oh, that person shouldn't go to jail. And people say, yeah, but look at 
these uh, examples of people who've gone to jail for much less than that person. Yeah. Well, Therefore, what makes this right. guy special? So they shouldn't yeah. have gone either. It's like yeah. it's like when people of, quite often um, people make these kind of cases of like, and I understand why they make these cases, but but they, but they say. Um, that white guy's getting away with it, right? So that's wrong. That white guy should go to jail. Yeah. No, maybe no, none of them. None of go. the black guys <laughs> should be in jail. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like that. They're that logic of linking those things. The system that's right. already inherently unfair. Right. So you're like, oh, everyone has to matchingly be unfair to. We have to be matchingly unfair to everybody, right. which is nonsensical. We right. should have everybody in a system that doesn't. Why are these? Why are so many of these people going to prison? Right. Why are they getting picked up in the first place? Why are their prosecution numbers higher? Right. Why are those things happening? And what's the end result? What What are we trying to get out of this? And yeah. now in America, the whole issue of becoming it's a business. Well, you know, that's the whole other. Right. That's a whole other way of looking at it. Here, at least, we can look at the idea of, to some extent, we can look at the look at the idea of fairness and whether prison as a system is helpful for society. But Both I mean, there, it is being privatized. Like, it is one of the areas where the government are looking to bring in private contractors Ooh. like it is um a complicated thing for us in this in this country still and it oh yeah and, of course and you know yeah. i know and i know you're not saying yeah. it's not and also but i mean and the same the same thing happens with our prison system people who are poor people from marginalized groups they're in our prisons yeah. and uh majority of the people who are not from those groups get away with most minor crime and even the major crime they're more likely yeah, whereas to get away we with. i think minorities we have to be taught a lesson right. the difference like it's crazy right right and it's yeah i mean and it's 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 yeah i mean it's impossible to understand to me mm. why more people don't think the way we do but i guess everybody feels like that about their ideology right but, uh, well, <laughs> you see you say that but the, another part of it to me i think is and maybe this is very conceited i'm not sure how it <laughs> is that i think a lot of people i mean i've been lucky some uh, certain groups of people that i'm friends with or i'm close to or spend time talking with are engaged in thinking about these things but like I feel strongly that the majority of people aren't actively no, engaging true. with these topics. And I think the, the reason, though, is for intersectional reasons. So mm. that the reasons Why people don't have time yeah. or they're ex- exhausted or they're just like not exposed to it for yeah. whatever reason. So why bother thinking about it? And I, it's like I was thinking the other day, I was trying to write, do, some, do a bit on it in my comedy, but I don't know if I can make it funny. <laughs> it's about how, like, say you're just like a rich old white guy and you're straight, and none of your friends are affected by any of this stuff. It's like you're in your warm little duvet. Why do you want to get out of bed? There's no reason that you... Any, why should you? I completely understand the feeling of laziness. Of not. Well, it doesn't really affect me. Sorry for you guys, but I'm having a great day like all my other days, so right. why would I bother even turning the page to look at what's happening over here when my life is... I could just live out my life. And those are the people with the most power. And that... It's horribly upsetting, right. but to me somehow just really funny. <laughs> why would they bother? Why, would, If you have all the power, why would you bother? And if it doesn't affect you and anybody you care for, and if you and everyone you love is fine right. in your little community, good luck no, to you guys. You don't notice it. I think, I mean, that's we were sort of talking about that off mic before we started recording, because even though we've never met uh, each other before, mm. as soon as you came through the door, we pretty much started having quite deep conversations yeah. straight away. That's partly my... I don't think it's a fault, but partly my so. my thing is I, I don't really do sh- small talk, and so I guess you probably don't, because when I go straight into a really deep conversation, it probably means the other person also doesn't do small talk much. Well, I don't, uh, but I just I think the job requires it. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to, to interact with a lot of people, so 
you got to be a bit more. Yeah, oh, it's nice to meet you and all of that. Yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, yeah, I know. Well, I'm I'm learning to do small talk mm. more, which really I, what I do is I go to places where people normally do small talk and do big big talk at people, and they don't run away now. <laughs> I've, managed to, I've managed to, to to manage to make my tone of voice not scare people away. Mm. So we're sort of touching on what you do, and the, so the second question I ask everybody is, what do you do now? Uh, well, when you say what do you do, I'm going to assume you don't mean for money. <laughs> well, I mean whatever you want it to what, mean. <laughs> uh, I suppose, well, I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to be, to turn into a full-time stand-up comedian. I'm not full-time yet, and I'm trying really hard and getting trying to improve as much as possible. And I also spend a lot of time writing. Uh, I was writing for kind of an online magazine for a while, which I'm still writing for. And I was working, I'm right now I'm working on a collection of personal essays that I hope to get published, but I'm just kind of, focusing on output rather than right quality and honing things down at the moment right because my biggest problem is being mired in self-doubt and fear and just cowering and not doing anything so I'm trying to get over that by saying look just even if it's awful whether whatever it's in whether it's comedy or writing just output as much as possible until you get over the fact that you're terrible at everything right. and then pare it down afterwards. You know, when people tell me they're not very good when they're like stand-ups and they like interact with me, I always pay more attention to them because I tend to find <laughs> that people who are like critical of themselves often are good uh, and they don't know it yet, which is great for me as a person putting people on because it means that like I get to see them come alive on the stage or whatever I like that I can't imagine being someone who ever thinks they're good at something right. <laughs> I don't know if that's really bad and I think in the world we live in everyone's kind of like you've got to believe in yourself and like, yeah of course I believe I can do stuff like I'm not incapable I know a method of if I apply myself follow make a plan for how I want to improve at something and follow it through inevitably I'll get better at it I know that that system is like human application that right. works that's not that's not news to me I don't need to tell myself that I believe in myself but uh, people are convinced that you've got to be like, oh, I'm the best and I'm good at this and, right. and just sell yourself. And I'm like, well, what if I just work really hard and then I make something that people are interested in and can connect to and then that'll be a good thing and people will like it. That's that's what I'm aiming well, for. Well, that's a great thing that's to it. aim for. I think yeah. that's what that's what I kind of I aim for. I mean, I, I sometimes I feel like things I've done are good. Mm. Um, but I definitely don't feel that I'm good. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind yeah. of the way it works for me. If I create something that, that gets good enough, sometimes I feel like, oh, that's outside of me now. I can appreciate that from the outside. Yeah. Particularly if it's collaborative, I can be a bigger fan of collaborative work I've done than uh, than my own stuff. And the good thing about doing this show is that it's never just me. Well, it, actually, sometimes it is just me. <laughs> and those are the episodes that give me the most anxiety. <laughs> but, but mostly it's not just me. And so mm. I can get to like the conversations, even if I don't like myself. <laughs> No, exactly. It's exactly that. I mean, I'm not saying I'm some selfless martyr who's right. like, oh, I, I'm, I'm dead. The art is everything. That's not what I'm, no, no, I'm no. getting at. I'm so not getting that from I you. just feel like I know what I want to create, but if I ever get there, then I've lost sight of what it is. Right. Because one of the things, like, so I ask people what they want to talk about before we before we start, and amazing, it was a really interesting answer. Because I mean you know rather than a sort of a few different parts of your life that you wanted to promote which is often how people decide to go with that you sort of like took a moment and it was quite a a while to like really think about it and then you said that you'd be interested in talking about being a fraud yeah and uh, this seems to kind of be the place to talk about that I guess because we're sort of going in that direction yeah I mean that's an unusual thing for someone to first of all to choose to want to talk about on a podcast (laughs) that's true you know 
um, which is great. I mean, I, 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 it's something I want to talk about. But mm. yeah, what, why? Well, I was. <laughs> I, I think. I think recently I've been feeling like, if I look objectively, and I'm let's talk in isolation about my comedy for a minute. If I look objectively at where I am now compared to where I started, it's about two years. Uh, I'm better. I'm better at doing it. I've had more stage time than I was when I started, and that's good. You know, you do something a lot, you get better at it. That's the natural progression. And maybe it's the nature of the comedy scene. I don't know. I can't give a concrete reason. But sometimes you look around and people have been going for a lot less time than you are appearing to do better than you in terms of getting gigs at certain places that you want to be performing at or they've accomplished something really incredible, which is a different kind of admiration. Or someone who's been going for a long time isn't getting the gigs that you've been getting. And you can end up playing this game in your head of like this game of where do I stand, who am I competing with, or why haven't I got that yet? Why have they got that? What's good about them? And then I look at myself sometimes and I think, if I say, look at how I'm projecting myself to others, I'm doing all right. For where I'm at and how long I've been doing, I'm doing all right. But then I look at what I'm actually doing on a day-to-day basis and I think, am I just, is this a lie? Am I lying to myself? Mm. More than other people, am I lying to myself about where I am and what I'm hoping to accomplish? I mean, I've been at it for two years, but I haven't been doing a hell of a lot else. So everything that I, I'm, I'm not very good at, A, understanding what, how people perceive me. I know, the more I think about it, the more lost I get. I have no true perception of that. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's what you're trying to project in whatever avenues. You're trying to project who you are and where you stand and how well you're doing or how poorly you're doing. But all of it, recently I've been thinking, oh, A, who gives a shit? And B, it all seems fraudulent to me, the way that other people project themselves and the way that I'm projecting myself. It just seems like... No one knows what they're doing. Like, and that's fine. It'd be so much nicer if everybody accepted that we just don't know what we're doing in any avenue. And I think grown-ups, grown-ups are grown-up children. Yeah. And we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that the concept of grown-ups has any reality at all. Like, no one grows up. We just, yeah. we just, we learn to deal with being kids better. Yes, um, exactly that's, that. That's I love it, that. That's really, exactly it. Like my brother, he's just had his second child. He's four years older than, older than me. And... Par- like I look at parenting, I'm like, like how do you like you have to keep this baby alive? How do you know you're an adult now? How is right. this possible? I think that kind of brought it home to me is that someone that I see as like just a brat, <laughs> my older brother, just a bit of a brat, and then he grows up and now he's to care for these two children, provide for them, give them money, and and provide as in money is in to buy food, to right. buy clothing, to get them to nursery on time. Right. And I think, oh, but he in my eyes, my brother is still a kid, just like I'm still a child. Yeah. And yet I'm projecting this, oh, I'm an adult now. Look at these important things I'm writing, these important thoughts I'm having, and these important things that we're doing and operating in the world. When really none of it, I guess it's really depressing, none of it really matters. Well, I think isn't that the twin feeling? I mean, it's, a tw- it's certainly how I feel about creating work, is I, I kind of can't not do it. Like, I have to make it, and I feel like I've got things to say at moments, or I get really lost in them, or I get like, I get an idea and I go, Oh my god, that scares the shit out of me. I have to do it. Yeah. That's quite often what happens to me. But at the same time, I, I, yeah, does anything I have to say mean anything really? And then, you know, those kind of thoughts definitely, there's always those two, two things of like, I, I want to, do to this. Yeah, yeah, I have to and want to do, do this. And, yeah nothing I do matters and nothing I do necessarily has value like it goes quite deep exactly that like because of reasons like life reasons (laughs) even this conversation we're having 
Sorry. What we were talking about earlier about the, the, the justice system. I believe in it so strongly what I'm telling you. I feel it in like it makes me angry. Right. It makes me furious. But so what? Right. To what end? Right. <laughs> what am I doing that's gonna help this system? Who who do I care about that's being affected by it? And what am I doing? What am I doing? Right. Next to nothing. Right, nothing. right, right. Beyond talking about it to you right now. Yeah. And like having discussions with people I care about on this topic. Yeah. I'm not doing anything. Oh, I attended the Anarchist Book Fair. Good for you. So what? <laughs> and it just, that rankles me, like this yeah. feeling of uselessness. Yeah. And um, not being able to change anything. A, A, not being able to change anything because I justify it by myself by saying, I'm one person. Whatever I do, who, what? Difference does it make? Right. And even more so, the cowardice of saying that and accepting it and living that way makes me feel like I'm a complete fraud. And it's more on those things that I care about. Career, all of that, you know what, I can deal with the emotional, like, disparity there. But things that I believe in, like that, things about poverty that I believe in, mm. and things that, things about injustices that I get really angry yeah, about. Yeah, the things I feel certain about are political things rather yeah. than artistic things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Things that I'm like, oh no, I figured out what I think on that. Right. Like, I'm still open. Yeah, but and I'll the, develop sometimes those those thoughts, but they're they're normally within the same areas. I yeah. think my my certainties are in the same areas. Yeah, but yeah, to what end? That's what makes me really. That's what makes me feel like a fraud. Right. It's like, oh, I'm so passionate about. Okay, good. Go go. Make some stickers. Like what's right. And there's no one can help me with that. The impetus for action or finding something that makes it feel like I'm making a difference has to come from with me. Right. And I'm aware of that. And even when you find it, like, I, I've occasionally done activism-type things. I've mm. occasion, Like, I don't call myself an activist in any way, but I've occasionally done things that I've tried to do for political reasons. And I've certainly made loads of art that's tried to have political messages. And I'm <laughs> currently doing the same kind of thing uh, in a different way. And the, the idea that art can change the world is a really hard one to because mm, it, it can't anyone. and it can and and yeah. and then it's so like both of those things are true. So I've got this thing and listeners to the show and by this stage in the show probably will be so fed up of hearing me say this because it's like a thing <laughs> I talk about. But like Niels Bohr, the physicist, yeah. said uh, there were two kinds of truth. There's like trivial truth and profound truth. Yeah. Trivial truth. Um, the opposite is a lie, like a, fal- a falsehood or a lie, right? So that, that's the options, yeah. right? But a, a, a profound truth, the opposite, is also true. Right. Um, and I think that this is the problem. Like art can totally change the world, and art can't change the world at all. Both seem to me to be equally true. Right. Like there's there's equal truth in both those concepts. Just like we're insignificant, and we're the most important things. You know, in, yeah, like really to us, out. we are. <laughs> to our individual selves, we are. So yeah, I think that it's. It depends where you're looking at it from. I think, how, and also it depends it what side of bed I wake up. Right. It depends on, that ends up dictating how I look at it. Like, oh, today I can, yeah. I'm going to go and do this and it's going to make a difference. And, or oh, I'm going to go on stage and I'm going to surprise the audience. Because when I go on stage, people, like, every time I go to a comedy club, even the promoters will look at me and be like, are you meeting someone? Like, no, I'm an act. No one thinks I look like an act. That's fine with me. Mm. I'm going to go on stage. People are going to be have their preconceived notions. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I'm going to make people laugh and think and change the way they think about something. But then even if I do accomplish that, even on the odd nights when that happens and I'm like, someone comes up to me and says, I never thought about it that way, I feel really happy. Even those nights, so what? Right. And, and you're choosing really kills me. like an interesting area of the arts as well to talk about the big things, to mm. talk about the big philosophical things. I'm not saying that your act is completely Yeah, no, that. I'm not there yet. I've never, <laughs> I've never seen your no, act. Exactly. Um, I just know that I like you, so I suspect yeah. I like your act. Well, we'll see. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then I've heard from other people that it's good. 
but like those kind of topics are not necessarily like I've met a, quite quite a few comedians mm. and I'm not saying that, that the comedians I've met aren't politically aware and interesting and quite often they're uh, a lot of the comedians I like or I meet are feminists or socialists mm. or any of those kind of things like they're not like you know maybe they would maybe more of them would if I talked to them about the prison industrial complex but mm. I just don't like that those kind of topics aren't necessarily the first ones they're interested in communicating to an audience and they may be in the future will change yeah, as well. As you grow older, say, you decide how you communicate what you want to say. Well, there's that. And also, you want to remember the learning curve of what it's like to be a stand-up. Right. Like, I wasn't talking about the race stuff or the religious stuff that I talk about now, before when I started as much, because you've got to learn the skill set of how to be funny on stage <laughs> right. before you can start applying that to topics that are really hard to... Like, it's really hard to get people to laugh at religion now because it's so... Everyone's so upset about it. But... Now that I've kind of got the skill set a bit more and I know that I'm playing with persona and the angle that they, the way they perceive me in the moment itself, then you can apply those things to those topics you want to talk about. And I'm only just touching on being able to have that skill set and use right. it. So there is that, I don't know who, like, which acts in particular talking about or in general, but there does, there is that long learning period of how to be like funny oh yeah and <laughs> i know you can talk about heavy like i'd love I, that's I really wrote, true yeah. actually the, the the acts that i have known who have been the most kind of yeah i think political like ability to do the p- political stuff definitely comes with time i've yeah. seen it come on people and i've also seen like older comedians often have it down yeah. in that respect like if you look at say george carlin who right. by the end is just all political stuff mostly but his early stuff you can see it you can by all um his very early stuff at universities that he was doing tours in america was a lot of it was kind of wordplay and playing with words and jokes like jokes whereas now in the at the end of his time like when seeing him in the kind of early 2000s before he passed away there's he's talking a lot of political stuff but that was a like a genesis that took a long time for him to know how to deal with a big crowd win them on side and now here's this horrible thing i want to talk about and we're going to laugh at it together so we can understand it right and that takes a long like, some com- some sorry to cut you yeah, off. No, some comedians, do. <laughs> some comedians like start. I think start being political from the off before they've got the. I can make this funny, and they learn to make the political stuff funny as they go. So they right. are beginning with it. Whereas I kind of like I did some. I'll, I'll, even now I'll do some silly stuff, and then once I kind of have them thinking like I'm like a sweet little Ooh, yeah, funny jokes, I'll twist it and immediately go into race stuff, and it kind of the surprise will make them enjoy it. and that's really fun to see them surprised that actually I'm going to make takes to a dark place but I've already won you over so you can't leave me now you're with me and that's a really fun thing for me to do but there will come a time I think where I can't do the pretend stuff anymore I have to go straight into those topics I think that's definitely so I mean definitely when I'm thinking through the comedians I know and I'm and certainly I'm never saying that any comedians who I know aren't great mm. like it's irrelevant if they're doing political stuff or not to me about whether they're funny or not although I judge people's comedy partly with a political framework oh, like there are certain kinds of jokes that I, I find distasteful yeah and that's a political feeling I have about those jokes mm. but 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 the, the people I know, the, like it seems to me like the when like in most of them in their twenties are like um, more likely to be kind of making general more general humour. But then as they're like as and I think when you get to like 
30 or get to like through that like that's around about when you start to know yourself a little bit better I mm. hope fuck sake, I hope. <laughs> I'm not sure but 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 I think that's like when people get to the kind of like right I'm going to do my life story or right I'm going to do politics yeah. like those are the when they go right now I'm going to something to say right now I've worked <laughs> my craft up mm. now I'm going to say what I've got so yeah, yeah maybe I'm because I haven't seen what your routine mm. is I'm sort of hearing these big ideas and going oh, that's what your your routine is going to be. But yeah, little, little, Like I said, it's bits and pieces, but I'm working towards <clears throat> something that I hope will be... Like, I feel... I can't... I'm not someone who can go in on stage and hone something that doesn't have a purpose. Right. Night after night. Right. And um, at first, my purpose was to learn how to do this thing, and it still is. I'm still learning. Let's not act like I'm... Let's not say that. Let's not be crazy. I'm still learning. Uh, but in terms of what I'm talking about, what I want to get at talking about, now those topics, now I can't help but write in those areas. And I find it quite hard to not write right. in, those, in kind of weird areas. So. Yeah, politics is a bit of a curse like that for art because once you see the things, you go, like, you can't avoid, you can't not see yeah. them, yeah. It's like we're out of the matrix. Right, I mean, I'm doing a show this year and I've got a horrible feeling this year's uh, Getting Better Acquainted is going to be like, oh, it's the Dave talking about his show section. Right. But I mean, I'm doing this show this year, which is like a political thing. It's like about, well, it's about the kind of stuff that we were talking about with Bell Hooks. Um, right. It's about how the patriarchy hurts men and, yeah. and, and taking myself and other men to task and also talking about how we've been hurt by the patriarchy and, yeah. and looking at looking it's at so that. It's so important. Right, but I can't, like, I'm scared of going to that that place for right. so, for so many reasons i mean it's going to be a really personally revealing show so yeah, that's that. always hard. um there's the fact that it's a man talking about feminism which a lot of feminists don't like for for good reasons and bad or, although even saying for good reasons and bad a man making a decision about which feminism is better or not better is going to alienate some feminists regardless yeah some feminists but in my opinion feminists that are kind of wrong like right. you, i feel like but it's easier for you change, to have that opinion than me yeah <laughs> I, I hear you, but I sad that that's the case. Yeah, right. I'm sad because, that it's the case too, and maybe but, my show's kind of about the, hmm. the fact that I'm sad about that being the case. But you shouldn't you shouldn't be scared to participate in making things better. That's that's silly. Well, no, you know? and, I, and I'm not in a hmm. way. But then, so there, but it exists that because of the way people think. Right, and also yeah. there's some feminists who I do want to piss off. Yeah, <laughs> um, and they will also be annoyed. And then there's some like men uh, yeah. who will take offence at the idea of me trying to tell them how to live their lives, yeah. which I'm not really trying yeah. to do. And I'm we'll from... be like, well, but dudes it, have been it... doing that for a long time. So <laughs> right, I mean that's true. Men are always telling other men how to how to how to be men. Yeah. Uh, I'm just giving some alternative uh, routes. Some, yeah, different ones. But 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 yeah. So but that that idea scares me. But I can't not do it. You know, yeah. and I've got a few ideas like that this year where it's like, oh, fuck, this is the year I'm doing all of the hard-to-do yeah. ideas that I can't not do. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like you're in a similar sort of position to a certain extent. I have this thing kind of on the back burner, if I'm honest. Like, this year I'm working on an Edinburgh show. It's, uh, as opposed to an hour, I think a lot of comics call it the coward's hour. I'm doing 40 minutes. Right. Because, view it, because it's not necessarily looked at by people with any kind of seriousness. And that's exactly what I want. I want a bit of space to have an audience and learn the skill set of doing a long show. Right. I have done 40 minutes straight. Right. I want to learn how to do that. And then the year after, or possibly the year after that, I want to do an hour show. And that's when I'm going to hit those topics. Yeah, you're scaring uh, me because I'm going straight into, <laughs> an, into an hour show without doing any like practice. But are you, would you call your show an hour of stand-up? Are you going into an, a realm where you know that there's a, 
there are people preconceived notions of what it is you're doing. It's not going to be an hour of stand-up comedy. Right. It's going to be an hour of uh, storytelling slash lecture. Right. So I'm not going to be. I'm happy if the audience laughs yeah. loads. I will have some jokes in yeah. there, but I'm. I don't. It doesn't matter to me if they laugh. It matters to me if they stay, which they might yeah. not. But <laughs> that's but that's what I mean is that there's that difference in that I'm specific, there's a, like I'm trying to fit into a specific. Genre, yeah, right. Genre where I have to know I have to do a forty-minute show before I can do it. In my opinion, right. I think a lot of comic kind of jump from say doing half an hour to an hour, and I've done kind of a few half hours here and there, but I want to do an Edinburgh every night, forty minutes, and it want it to be second nature to be on stage for that a long amount of time and holding an audience's attention for that long before I jump to doing an hour, right. Um, because I want to tackle bigger subjects with the hour. With my 40 minutes, it's kind of going to be a bit more of a jumble where it's going to be kind of really silly things that will tie into different serious topics. I'm going to flip between as I go. Whereas when it comes to the hour show, it's going to be full-on hard, but I have to make it funny. <laughs> right. It's That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it, like, I'm in the sort of, it's like, how do I make it funny isn't necessarily the only answer I've got. Like I can, it's how to make it, how do I make it entertaining? Mm. Funny's one of the options. Yeah. Um, because I'm not trying to be a comedian and I'm petrified that people are going to think I am a, like ever. I'd never would call myself a comedian at the moment. I have written comedy yeah. and I do like jokes. So who knows where I'll end up, but I don't, but saying you're a comedian or a stand up is quite a, thing that you're sort of flagging up right and that's a claim you're making right yeah so you've got to not fuck it up you've got to to fulfill the premise of okay if you're a comic you need to get laughs that's that's it right you need to be getting laughs x number of laughs a minute not one laugh randomly in the show consistent laughs is the key from different audiences sometimes as Mm. well right so it feels to me like um and correct me if i'm wrong (laughs) because i fucking definitely could be on this issue but i probably will be too yeah. <laughs> but, but but we well yeah we'll, we'll see but i mean I, I would imagine that if you're doing comedy that's based around topics of race mm. that the makeup of the audience really affects how those topics go down like like it feels to me like in the art scene there's a lot of like mostly white rooms and then there's some rooms that are much more diverse than that and Mm. there's some rooms that are hardly any white people in and then you've got like different kinds of white people like middle class liberal ones or like right wing ones don't like me at all (laughs) but um kind of young most i have to say that you i think you're right that there are lots of different audiences and things go down differently with different audiences but i have to say the majority of rooms that i've played have had that kind of like young middle-class white people right and it's been fine because i'm not accusing anyone of anything right i'm discussing something that's there like it's just there yeah, yeah, yeah. and when someone points out it's like oh yeah that's there it's funny and that's very different to kind of saying oh it's all your fault although sometimes i do a throwaway line and they enjoy that because they think that it's but only if it's going well <laughs> it depends on the room right and so th- but there you go like yeah. so there is a sense that like oh this 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 room's getting it more than this room's getting it yeah. so i can throw in that line and they won't feel like i'm saying that they're all wrong and when there's more i don't know if there's another word for it but like in terms of inter- that intersectionality right right say i'm doing <laughs> a room now i'm gonna this is a long stretch right say i'm doing a room that's maybe more working class than middle class and it's and in those situations genuinely more likely to be mixed race then in that situation probability wise i'm not talking about sure. yeah i'm talking numbers statistics in that room i'm more likely to get hecklers white hecklers applying back in the as if i'm dismissing their problems right and that's really interesting to me right. in that those settings they're like no we disagree that's not true 
with what you're saying, if I'm talking about race, for example, or or I suffer from this too. And that those heckles will have come from kind of working class white people in that setting. Right. And then kind of the audience will sometimes agree with them, the whole audience, and turn and be on their side a bit. And I'll be like, you know what, maybe I haven't thought this through. And maybe I my privilege is coming into this a bit too, in that I'm I'm I would say I'm middle class, but I'm from an ethnic minority. And that that's really interesting. I learn a lot from that. I'm like, oh, I haven't. Maybe I haven't thought about what I'm saying and how it impacts you in your life. Yeah, that's. And that's and I like that. I like being challenged in that way because I'm like, oh, maybe I should not just for comedy, but for my brain right. and for living in the world. It's really nice to think, oh, I haven't, I haven't considered this, your experience as a part of this. And while I don't necessarily agree all the time with what's being said, uh, I obviously need to think about this some more. It's right. hard to talk about it because you haven't... But then it's complicated it, too, yeah. isn't it? Because there, there is... And I've observed, and again, this is a generalisation mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, all I'm the not, improvisers, yeah. Not all white people, but... Um, <laughs> but, yeah. like, I've observed uh, that people who have uh, working-class problems, mm. because of the fact that they're oppressed, sometimes that leads them to not check their own privileges. So so I've seen it, I've heard it, that, that, that there's a really good, I can't remember. There's an article, right. like how to explain privilege to a poor white person. That's right, yeah. that, article. that article. And that yeah. article is great, and it's, it's by perfect. a white American woman yeah. talking to other white people. It's kind of, in a, in a way, it's an inspiration for the show I'm doing in, a, in okay. a, a different way. Like, oh, look, someone from that group can talk to that group and not fuck us off, yeah. right? And that's what I liked about <laughs> That that it's article, an ally. yeah, yes, and she really understands working class issues <laughs> and like nobody who's, and I'm not working class. Mm. Uh, I have lots of working class friends, but like as we know, that just the sentence "friends" in a sentence about these kind of things, yeah, doesn't negate up problematic yeah. issues. <laughs> but I've seen like that, like you know, in terms of Billy Bragg's reaction to the idea of being told about white privilege was initially, he now accepts it, but mm. he initially rejected it because yeah. of the fact that he had, had, had not had privileges in some ways. Yeah. And I think that it, I, and this is a terror, like as a super privileged, I had tick most, most of the boxes person. It's, I know it's a terrible thing to be like talking about other people's privileges if I know any answers, but I'm yeah. going to do it anyway. If we don't discuss it, then how can we engage in it? Right. Et cetera, et cetera. So it's fine. It's, well, I mean, I, I, you know, fair enough. I, I accept it. But the, but, but I mean, also, I, th- I think it happens with men as well. Like, um, so like, I think, you know, I, I, from my understanding is what I've read, what I've seen, what I've experienced of it is that, you know, often like black men are not necessarily sympathetic to black women's like like on a gender level like they that because they don't you know because they go well I suffer too because I'm black and so yeah. the, those kind of things and it, so it, it doesn't it doesn't I'm not saying you won't necessarily have to check your privilege mm. and you will have some of course but they might also need to check their privilege but oh, you're yeah. going away thinking about that are they going away checking their privilege? That's the yeah. thing. Well, if only we could police that. But no, no. Wait, well, I don't, you know, and the irony is I don't believe in the police. Yeah, no, of course not. <laughs> that, that's a given from the conversation so no, far. I yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. It's hard to... Um, I know, I... I think also one thing to note is that this kind of language that we're using to talk about what we're talking about, yeah. this idea of checking your privilege, intersectionality, yeah, yeah. the idea of saying, okay... I'm not doing great, but relative to this person, I'm doing better. That's basically what we're saying, right? Or, well, or even, not doing yeah, better. That's, the, doing wrong, better that's a, the wrong angle to come at well, it. I think doing better is a problematic aspect that creeps into it yeah. by accident, that people end up, even though they're using intersectional analysis, which is great, they end up using it to say, I'm better than you. Not better sometimes. than the person, as in, 
I have better opportunities available to me. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I mean. Is that my options are better? Right. Um, not better than you're a bad person. I'm better than you. Right. Better than you're better off. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of better I was talking about. Um, cool. Yeah. But even this, us, even us being able to have this conversation without necessarily having gone and done gender studies, right, right. is is new. Like it's right. recent. Right. The last five years, I've learned so much. Yeah. Uh, from and I don't the think it's just because I was younger before. I think that's because it wasn't What's available. in the mainstream. Yeah. It's not what people were talking about in the same way, and that. It's exciting in some ways, frustrating in others, because it means, like anything, it's going through the rigmarole of people pointing at it and poking ideas in these theories. Yeah. And half-heartedly trying to understand it and then ripping things apart. And assuming everybody knows everything. So, like, these terms that we're using, some people won't necessarily be familiar mm. with them, but, but now I'm at a point where I don't explain what intersectionality is every time. Yeah. Um, but there are still lots of people who don't know what that means. Yeah. I probably am one of them, because I'm still learning. <laughs> but we all are, that's the right. key. But so long as there's that attitude of we need to be thinking about these things. But then also, what's the value in thinking about them? What are we going to get out of it? Right, because what do we, we do? Yeah. When do we act? I'm, this is my problem. I'm very right. action oriented. If there's nothing <laughs> coming out of it at the end, then I feel like, okay, so my brain's improved. Our brains have improved because we've got new ideas in them and we're changing the way we think or we're maybe expanding the way we think or honing different thoughts down. But yeah. It can change how we interact with people. Certainly people who are privileged like in lots of ways across lots of different oppressions or like areas like can can alter the way we behave like um that's that's definitely true more empathy can come through it i hope that if people can put themselves into each other's position partly because the thing is in order to empathize with someone you i feel like you need to both see your commonalities and your differences mm. because if you just see your commonalities then that's when people end up going oh yeah i don't see color yeah which oh, is abs- which is absurd yeah sure <laughs> race itself is an absurd concept yeah but, but we don't have it, it doesn't, it's yeah, there we've created it we don't so, want yeah. it to be there yeah. the end point maybe doesn't involve anybody seeing yeah. colour, although, or no, I don't think it should, no, it should be that, it point. should involve, involve all of us seeing colour and loving not, it exactly. all, and it being its irrelevant beauty, in right? terms of what we and, think you know, of and it's no beauty, exactly right, yeah. like because beauty is another complicated word, oh, which gosh, yeah. I mean, I love beautiful things, like yeah. the idea of beauty is very powerful to me, but then at the same time, you know, uh, the way that capitalism, if you like, co-opts beauty is mm. very problematic, so oh, I don't know yeah, right? <laughs> right. And what's beauty, guys? I never felt beautiful. Um, yeah. I want to, though. Um, and, you know, some but people well, might find me beautiful, You say you right? want to feel beautiful. What does that even... What is accomplishing right. that? And are you someone who can... You see? I'm so difficult. Right. Like, You're never happy even, with what yeah. you've got, either. No, not at all. Never happy with what you have. And yet, at the same time, someone can find you intensely beautiful as you are. And so you should say, oh, I want to feel beautiful. Well, you are, so fuck you. Do it. <laughs> feel right. it now. Yeah. Right. Whereas that's, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody in your life who's... There, there who's, are. Exactly. Uh, so for you sometimes. to then say, I want to feel like what it's like to be beautiful, it's like, well, whatever shape feeling you have now, that's it. <laughs> right. That's true. I mean, and, and you get those moments when you forget, I feel like. You get those moments when you are in a moment and you just, like, feel beautiful or yeah. you feel intelligent or you feel kind or, or any valuable. Of the things that you like yeah. about the things you want to be you get those moments when you feel them but they're so fleeting yeah. right so fleeting. and then you have to return to being yourself all day right <laughs> i mean you know i guess the, the cliche that, that people have around comedy is that people who make comedy they want to laugh because they also see the sad stuff like yeah. a lot like um and there's lots of i think there's lots of 
truth in that and there's mm. also lots of bullshit in that like yeah. any cliche I think it all depends on the comedian like tortured artist about. it's the same concept yeah. and so there's and you know not all artists are tortured no, not and all. not being and being tortured isn't fun no that's the thing that people always yeah. forget when they say tortured they artists it as if right. it's a right a it, joyous it, thing but it, it's really not yeah it means somebody managed to make a little bit of work despite having severe depression yeah right like that's, that's what you're actually yeah, yeah you know yeah exactly they're, yeah. They're, they're not they're not an inspiration they're not brave no, i mean they are struggling. those things because yeah. they're a human being and we're yeah. all kind of those things but they're nothing more than but than just someone who happens to have made some really good stuff which is great but mm. yeah anyway i mean <laughs> so like now i've subverted the concept of it like what do you feel like do you feel why why are you attracted to laughter i oh, guess why is that I something think, you want to create? i was thinking about this on the way over because i thought this has probably come up <laughs> and i was thinking to me when we laugh Laughter, I think its most base is relief from mm. whatever it is. When you're laughing, you're releasing something, a tension, or an awkward laugh when you first meet somebody you don't right. know very well, that's a kind of relief. Or uh, an, an act on stage might build up tension with a setup and relief, and it'll be a relief when the laugh comes. And it's also a relief you get from admitting something to yourself. You're like, oh, yeah, I feel that, and other people feel that too, and you can laugh about that. Or it's the relief from the tension of, pushing two ideas together that you haven't put together before. That's a new thought. That's what most jokes are, is a new... It's two things that you otherwise haven't associated that are associated, and that's a new connection. That new connection, that thing forming, that's the relief, and that's the noise that comes out is the laugh. And I think that's how I framed laughter for myself, is that these kind of moments of relief throughout, like, a process of thinking. And when I think about it that way, and I apply laughter to the hard topics that I want to talk about, and I want to make hard topics easy to talk about and the only way to do that is through laughter and through that sense of relief and that builds trust I think mm. I'm overthinking it and making it sound very romantic but in actual practice it's make it funny they'll laugh good job that's it but when I think more about it I'm thinking about it in these terms yeah. that, that those moments of relief kind of build trust in a room and can build kind of a connection between you and an individual and with a whole audience yeah and that's the like that isn't that great? Like, no, I, I mean, <laughs> just I, nice. I definitely yeah. agree. It's why I've been attracted to 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 uh, to comedy, mm. uh, and you know, to, yeah, to the com- to, to and to having comedians on my nights mm. and to getting involved and sort of like creeping around the idea of being a comedian. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, and I think also it's it's sometimes it's the only place you can talk about the really big mm. stuff because otherwise you just cry yeah. and cry. How do you, how do you talk <laughs> about scary stuff? Right. You know? Or like the you, big political also, stuff. The risk is though, I was also thinking this in a negative, is that it's also a bit of a wall. It's a protective little wall that you set up where I'm like, like I'll go on stage and I want to talk about how one of my best friends is like has got these aspects of racism in him that are coming out. And that's really deeply upsetting to me that that's happening. Right, but at the same time, it's funny because he's been my friend for years, and now it's coming out. Like this is it's taken all this time, and the way I kind of talk about it is I make it silly and funny. But it's a way of talking about that situation. If you go away and think about the situation, someone's best friend turns out to have all these judgments and prejudices towards people of color. That's like, oh, that's sucks. That's yeah, heavy, and that sucks. Right. And it's someone that you care about. So the intricacies of caring about someone who thinks things that aren't correct to you that are upsetting to you but still caring deeply for someone. Right. But let's laugh about that. Let's laugh about this setup and this the ca- the kind of closeness of that relationship. But those lines are so close, aren't they? I yeah. mean, I so when I was at uni I did a like a 
an audio version of South Park or The Simpsons or that sort of thing. It was very influenced like that. It was like a cartoon radio program. Right, okay. Um, called The Trailing Edge. And there are many problems with that. Like, if I went back to it now with my intersectional eye, I would say there were fucking terrible jokes, like offensive <laughs> yeah. jokes, jokes that I don't stand behind. Yeah. There's also loads of jokes I do stand behind. Yeah. Like, it was, you know, it was for privileged yeah. white uh, men making comedy, so we made a lot of the fucking mistakes. Yeah. But I'm pleased that we didn't make some of the really obvious mistakes. Like, right. I don't think very much of our stuff at all touched on misogyny but I think we we fucked up race at times yeah but but for all the right reasons but in all the wrong ways okay. um but but anyway this is not my mea culpa for no. like <laughs> uh, forgive me for my sins no, no, this is like I remember this moment when um it was really like because so we started making that show around about 9-11 like that was the way the world was go- right. was at the time like my first summer of university 9-11 happened and right. I sort of got involved with the trading edge when when satirical stuff around at, against America and, and American foreign, foreign yeah. policy that was the stuff that originally attracted me to getting involved with the other guys and working on their stuff and there was we were doing like in, in towards the second year of it we were doing like a, a comic relief special which um, is in some ways one of the it could have been one of the things that we ever did that was the best it could have been the best thing but we made it like we did we fucked it up it was un, <laughs> unlistenable pretty right. much because of stupid decisions but nevertheless we were going into making that and we were supposed to be sending out ideas for sketches and I sat down at my computer and I composed this email and sent it to the rest of the group which was like I don't see any reason for laughing anymore it's absurd for us to laugh in this and it was like deeply depressed and going into (laughs) absolutely every reason why it was absurd for us to be trying to make satire in this time I feel like that was funny right well exactly (laughs) I sent it off and then the reply went that's hilarious Dave we're definitely going to use that and I was like confused like this is like all my put no but I mean immediately when when my friend Richard said it I went yeah actually that's right that's what we should do we should have this this character that is supposed to be presenting comic relief but just goes into this diatribe about why is what is the point of humor and because it was like a like you know I mean, yeah it was a dark time I'm yeah. glad I'm, to be honest I'm glad Comic Relief never knew we were making that show because it wasn't very co- complimentary about Comic Relief which right. I, I still hold is a problematic yeah. well, uh, really framed organisation anyway, right yeah. right right I mean again it goes into these areas where as a, you know you say these things and people decide you're a horrible person yeah like, that doesn't mean I don't care about people right charities and it doesn't well. mean that yeah. some charities aren't doing good this. jobs yeah. etc yeah. um, you know what's the difference between a charity and a advocacy group there's you know there's there's it's it's a complicated area but mm. generally speaking westerners going into other countries telling them how to do things is not it's something i i support yeah. and you know our, that show was really like a big kind of attack on bob geldof and yeah. uh, lenny henry really but, I feel like but lenny henry i have more time for these days <laughs> <laughs> i feel bad yeah. now but it's hard to, it's hard to <laughs> separate in it's hard to criticize people with good intentions and right. so you think all these charities have good intentions. I'm not denying that that's the case. I'm not saying that you are bad people. I'm saying maybe you haven't thought critically. That's all I'm saying. Right. In terms of the num since like in the past decade, the three decades, the number of international interventions, whereas trying to put plasters on like a gaping wound, it's no make the get the body healthy so it can fix right. itself. That's how you. 
deal with problems and promote growth and change and don't have an international system that intentionally nails these people to the ground. Right, and maybe really rich, like, white rock stars don't know that much about about foreign policy. Like, maybe their decisions are going to be biased towards the people they go to dinner with, like George Bush. And maybe it's all a big distraction, this is going to sound crazy, away from, like, this ridiculous capitalist system where this tiny percentage of people own all of the shit everywhere. All of the things everywhere. Right. Where corporations are given the chance to be represented as human beings. Maybe those are the things that we should be worrying about and giving our money to maybe stop all of that shit. Or just finding interventions to stop the system that we have now from just individually destroying everything right. that exists and this is exactly this isn't even like bringing in environmental no, issues that's that's right. 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 this is the there thing yet. it's yeah. like right and it, then then when you look at it in that way it, you think oh yeah this is a distraction it's not it's not a distraction I don't think it's an intentional distraction but if when you're looking at these things and you're thinking how is this the way that we approach fixing anything and right. then people say well what are we supposed to do in the meantime in the meantime people are starving and want things like I'm not denying that I'm not saying that what you're doing is not useful I'm saying that in the long term, like how long do you want to keep putting a plaster on the, this, this massive amputated leg? What right. are you gonna? And sometimes they're not putting those plasters in the right place to cover the cut. No, exactly. Like sometimes they're putting the plasters in ridiculous places, or they're thinking that their plaster is going to work, but yeah. it's actually got like like an allergic reaction yeah. happens when they place place it across the wound. You or know? sometimes you spent like. <laughs> Five thousand pounds going on a gap year to just put a plaster in a stupid place, and someone has to take the plaster off and put a new plaster on because he fucked it up. And it's right, just, right. it's all it's, it's taking the analogy super far, but right. it's just, uh, I don't have a problem with charities. I have a problem with a lack of structural change. Right, right. I mean, and this is the thing. I mean, and it's like, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I always sort of like. I don't know if it was a good. I think it was, that was one of the the, the, the the sketches we did all right. But, mm. we, we, you know, Lenny Henry had that archetypal speech where he says, uh, this is your, you know, we are Africans. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, we sort of, like, used that but had, like, a racist, uh, <laughs> um, like, explorer-type guy called James Funt um, thinking he was finding um, a native when he was actually finding Lenny Henry oh, and then interpreting his words as if they were something completely different like yeah. he's saying English but then he was interpreting them in like this horrible way and it was funny yeah. but but uh, I do uh, you know it's always questionable when white white people and are using yeah. black people to make their points or whatever yeah. like we used his actual voice which is probably a illegal um but but at least that was better than us doing an impression yes that would have been incredibly offensive yeah, yeah. those are the th- when we make sure we draw right. our lines somewhere well it's the episode it's the episodes where we are doing impressions that yeah. i do not sign off on okay, right. from this point in my life right um but that's but then the also thing it's all right to be wrong right right exactly i i, I well that's yeah. i hope that's so because one of my, one of my things, show things yeah. in my show is going to be me saying i did these things wrong yeah. as a man and now and i want to change thank you for admitting it well, like People need, need to I don't say need your that. cookies, don't be giving No, me I'm not cookies. giving you cookies. I'm just mean that <laughs> in the world, we have such a problem with accepting that we made a mistake or that right, we're wrong. Right, And then people get real defensive about shit. Like, if you've made a mistake and you've thought something and you behave in a way that you no longer agree with or that you think is wrong, but your pride is holding you back from changing, mm. that's the dumbest shit ever. Right. Like, that makes me... I have... I, the people I respect the most and the thing that I want to be... Even as... I've thought about this is that as a parent... I want to be the kind of person who can say, I was wrong, I made a mistake, now what should we do? Right. And if someone can say that and genuinely mean it and not just be acquiescing, but genuinely look at what they've done 
and think, well, this is why what this was harmful to, in some way to either a way of thinking or a person or a group of people and can change. Nothing, like, I will be sold on that person forever and that person will have my loyalty forever because I just think there's nothing more valuable in humanity than the ability to admit that you're wrong. Right, and it feels to me like if we're going to have any chance of hope of, like, getting any of these systems that are currently oppressing people in different ways sorted out, mm. we have to, like see that like we all have to admit we're wrong a bit Mm. we all have to sort of stand up which is not to say i'm not saying that that we're all equal in our wrongness no but 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 we all sort of need to sort of stand down and uh accept each other even if it's yeah even if it's just accepting apologies like getting to the point where we accept the apology and we see that somebody actually does want to change and like the, the idea that we like you said like the there's only a small amount of people who really have the power the rest of us are all allies potentially, yeah. but we're all so set up against each other that that's mm-hmm. the thing that makes it complicated. And those inherent things that set us up are things that are a lot out of our control. We can operate within those and try and change, but all the like the big money, the big money and the structures that no one wants to break because they don't have incentive to break it. They don't have. If you have all the stuff, you don't have incentive to break the system. Why? If you're at the top of the system, unless you want to just be a good dude. Why do you want to, why would you want to change anything? Right. And I get it. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can completely not empathise with, but I can see the thought process and the emotional narrative of that. I can be like, yeah, okay, I, I hear it. I hate it, but I can, I yeah, can I understand mean, how you, a human could sit through and be Do that you person. think in their situation you would do the same? I don't know. I've never been a like rich old white guy. because no, <laughs> I, I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah, that's almost that's the thing that scares me more than the idea that I could be a terrible criminal, right? Because 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 like. I, I see so many social reasons why people become criminals. Yeah. But I find it so hard to just accept that maybe inside me I have that much callousness, that much... No, but you're calling it callousness. Uh, that's the thing. It's not, it's not even that, it's is not it? not even that. That's the problem. That's why it's so easy. That's why nothing's changed. Because it isn't callousness. It right. isn't. It's just like comfort. It's just everything's easy. It's not even in your world. There are people too. That's the worst thing that the government is all are, are all people. That's yeah. the, it's they're much humans. harder for me to accept love. that they're people than any of the groups that they want me to not accept as people. And yet you can do it with the prison justice system. You can think that way, right? But I you know, can't think that way about well, people who are oppressors. Well, to a certain extent, like one of the things that doing this show has, has ended up with me doing is having kind of conversations with more privileged people and mm. having to put myself into a situation where, right, I'm just going to have to accept that they're a person and treat them as such, and yeah. I, and hopefully my prejudices and those respects are being broken down a little bit but then well right and 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 are those prejudices useful if if, like that's the question like if i have too much empathy with the people who are fucking everything up will i be able to i don't know do the right thing in the right moment i mean i'm completely a pacifist though so i don't agree with any kind of violent revolution Mm. but i also do believe in self-defense at a certain point that's what i was about to say it depends on the context right if a violent revolution is required in order to stop something that's depressing everybody to an extent where you cannot live right and there's no other option well, there's self-defense then, yeah, and that's the thing. But then, the, the, then you know, you can see an argument for why yeah. wait till then. I mean, it's also, yeah, it is also murky. So just being a trying to be a, a good person, <laughs> whatever a good person means. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like you said earlier on, I don't really agree with the idea of evil people. Um, no. I think I think there's evil actions, maybe. Um, well, well, there's there's actions that I feel are evil, but I understand that evil itself is so complicated. But I never think there's an evil person, just evil 
actions. Yeah, I'll agree. I I think I'll, it's hard for me to fully agree with that because my idea of evil is like to me just a kind of a lazy misnomer. But at the same time, say for example, someone is a sociopath, and I mean a clinically a sociopath. Yeah. And the actions they may carry out would to us. In, not in all cases, because there are loads of functioning sociopaths in the world. Right. But I mean, someone majority who carries out, yeah, majority, yeah, which shouldn't be scary, <laughs> but it is. And say someone's a sociopath and commits a violent crime and cannot feel the repercussions of it, but they cannot, they're mentally unwell, they cannot do it, they don't have the chemicals, the juices that we have to yeah. make them feel it. I can't, I can't call that person evil. No, that's really true. I can't say that person's evil. And to but them, the actors, where... and even the act... Uh, my gut instinct to say it's an evil act, the, this act of violence. But isn't it a consequence of this chemical imbalance? Right, no, and in that, sure. And therefore, isn't it the equivalent of a really careless car crash? No, no, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, when we get to this, I do agree. Mm. Um, it's it's hard to admit it, though. No, it's hard well, to say it. The thing that, you know, my, my least popular view, that the one I hardly mm-hmm. ever bring out, so I, feel, I think I'm going to bring it out in this one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the only other time I've talked about this on Getting Better Acquainted was in the conversation I had with my partner. Right. Um, but, because I know, and she wouldn't go off in the deep end with me, <laughs> but like one of the things, like when, when I was growing up, mm. um, I kind of got interested in looking at the early life of Hitler, right? Right. Of like... Um, Here you go. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and from a point of view of like trying to understand like this is the worst person that everyone tells you well, about where, well Stalin, exactly Mussolini. Well, yeah sure I'm, it's yeah. from a western bias and yeah. I think that there is I, I, I mean I'm not saying that I'm not undoing all the no, great right, job right, right. of evilness that sure I mean you know, yeah. right I mean there's, there, there, there are fucked up people from nearly yeah. every nation yeah, but and, as, a, and as a key western example of, right of so for my you know I was also looking into Jesus right, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a thing that was like where both of them were. I tried to empathise with both Jesus and, and Hitler anyway like, but when I was looking into that, like finding out about like the traumatic nature of his childhood, the social yeah. conditionings of his schooling in in Austria, like how these t- toxic messages were not just coming from some in- within him. him. Yeah. It was coming from within culture. It was coming from having like violence at home. Yeah. Just, like watching his mum like die of breast cancer. Mm. Like the the graves of like his sick, dead siblings in his like through his window that oh, you could wow. see right. there's like him being it's like desensitization right. to hum- exactly. humans exactly yeah. and there's people him there's him being poor and homeless on the streets of vienna right where he's trying to be an artist right, right. so there's always this uh, this possibility of if someone had just bought his art yeah you know maybe his maybe we'd, just maybe be all we'd right. have all yeah. been all right yeah there's i mean and that people don't like me saying that sentence because everyone sort of I, mean, well, I think comedians more likely to let you get right away right <laughs> people i think people are so people are so wedded though to the idea of of, of him as a, a bogeyman yeah um and so like what i see when i look at that and i've read mein Kampf as well yeah. because I've, i like had to find out what and it's fucking horrible i'm yeah, not like going yeah hey don't Mein-Kampf, recommend it guys book. yeah <laughs> but but the Five thing stars, is would recommend right but, but the moment that he has that's based where he where he, where he talks about the Jew, like his, where you see his prejudice for the, for the Jewish right. people, um, is when he's homeless and he's looking at these uh, Jewish rich people, right. and he's homeless, right? So, so he's he demonised them, turned right. them into so his he oppressors. Made, well, yeah. yeah, and I'm not saying it's as simple as that. It's no, also that he was not. taught that they were wrong from yeah. the minute. There's he was, a huge culture of anti-Semitism. Grew up, right? He grew yeah. up, but 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 the, but but that reason, and I'm not saying it justifies anything oh, at yeah, all. That's not- but, we're but, not saying justifying, we're explaining right, how right, he got there. Exactly. And so and and so for me, all of that stuff, it's just like the, 
that the intersectional analysis of Hitler is is not something anyone would feel comfortable <laughs> saying, and I've just right. said it out loud. Yeah. But 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 like what you know, what were the social conditions that created that yeah. that lost and damaged person to end up? fucking doing horrific things yeah. but at a distance even like the worst thing about that is that the people doing those horrific acts weren't even the people ordering the acts and so yeah. it's a really complicated system I in itself the, the to kind of that, unpick the reason you know? that we repeat history this is me getting all deep and philosophical <laughs> uh, the reason that we repeat history is because of an unwillingness to accept that people are human uh, and by that I mean in, for example in this case we've turned Hitler into a symbol of evil, for lack of any other nuanced term, which yeah. is the whole point. Yeah. We turned that person into a symbol of, oh, he did it. He came up and he ordered everyone to do everything and that's how all of anti-Semitism happened. No, that's mm-hmm. not. It's not. It's not. Of course his actions were horrendous. No one, disclaimer, no one here is saying right. that Hitler's, Hitler is justified in his but actions. guess what? That's not the what UK saying. had anti-Semitism at the same time. Mm. You know, like this, this idea he's of He's a like, product of all these different right. things that happened. To, but to pretend that he in isolation yeah. was the cause of everything. We're not saying that he wasn't the, a driving factor right. as an individual. But that came from somewhere. Humans yeah. come from somewhere. Humans come from their environments and become who they are lucky to become. Right, exactly. And this is the same for so, like for all of these I'm very carefully people. thinking about what we're actually saying. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> As we're saying it, I'm like, am I saying things that sound normal to me? Yeah. I mean, I think they are, I think that, like, you know, and that's the thing, it's like, this is the thing, talking about these things mm. always feels like, like there is this dual nature, nature of yeah. us talking now. It's like, it's great to find a kindred spirit who yeah. will listen to my more controversial areas, well, but then a... I'm sharing them with the internet. So yeah. well, how well, do I I'm, phrase them I'm that doesn't offend people? I'm operating on a basis people? that you're not nuts. Like, right. <laughs> on a basis that you believe in the inherent goodness of people and that how we treat each other, not necessarily, the inherent goodness of people isn't right, that's what I meant. So there's good inside but, everybody. Yeah, I just think. as there is nastiness yeah, and cruelty. right. And the and fact that... Which way do you go? Yeah, and that's dictated by how your life turns out and how how we treat each other and the systems we have on how we treat each other. How did he end up homeless? That kind of, right. Those kind of questions arise and you look at... it's. But we're not making a... I don't think what you're doing is making a judgment of good or badness. No you're way. saying, look at how this happened. Right. That's what you're saying. Look at how his emotional narrative and how he got to being who he is and... And the social conditions around it and the damage that was done to Germany before that. Like this, Mm. the the, the thing is, it's like looking at these things as like the narrative is we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, and this is how it went down. How do we get anything out of it? It ignores the First World War, it Mm -hmm. ignores so many different things. The depression and how awful that was, yeah. And we've got this kind of obsession with these symbols and, and. the, it's a shorthand, though, right? Isn't it? It's a shorthand. We've been doing this since the beginning of humans, right? It's but a shorthand for getting information across, but it loses all these little right flounces and nuances. Nuance, which yeah. is kind of lacking in a lot of debate generally. I think that people get into these positions of like, I can't go any further. This, you're wrong, and if you think differently from me, you're you're even more wrong. And then they end up pushing against each other. But I mean, I have those extremes too. Like, mm. even though we're talking about, like, I'm extreme. I I have extreme views on empathy. Right. Like, already I've shown because yeah. I because I would take it to Hitler, and people right. wouldn't take it to Hitler, right? right? And so, so to somebody else, that idea is abhorrent. is is abhorrent and yeah. offensive, and and all of the things. I think that's too easy, though. Yeah, well, I do too. Well, I think that's too easy <laughs> to be, and it's not helpful. It's yeah. not useful in the world to fix things in the world and try and get better. You have to understand things. That's right. what, like, it, 
I un- of course I understand the gut reactions to be like, oh no, ooh, ooh, yeah. oh, yucky, I don't want to deal with this, or you're wrong, he was evil. Of course some of his actions were horrible and had disgusting consequences. That's not... The fact that anyone would pick that up as a point of debate is ridiculous. That's not what we're talking about. Right. It almost feels like you're having two different conversations. Right. Someone's saying that, oh, but you you want to be friends with him. That's not. But what it does feel saying. it does feel like that though. Sometimes I feel like when you when you do go into these areas, like that, you do end up. It feels like you're having two two separate conversations. Mm. That as soon as you say something, people decide, oh, you're supporting whatever they decide yeah. is supporting. Like you're supporting murder. You're supporting yeah. terrorists. No one's supporting saying whatever. Team Hitler. That's not what anyone's no. saying. Yeah, right. that's not. That's not <clears throat> and even now you could have those debates about people doing atrocious acts. Yeah. Like, how did people, are people, like, for example, what's going on now in the news that shocks me, and one of the aspects of it that really terrifies me to my, I'm talking about terrorism, sorry. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, is the number of homegrown terrorists in Western countries who are going and joining these people. That is blowing my mind. That's so... Um, and I think it ties in exactly to what we have to think about. We have to empathise with these humans and understand how they got to this stage mm-hmm. where they want to be a part of something that's so destructive and so dangerous and so just horrifying on a human level. And yet they were, they could like, they could be someone that we knew and that we kind of went to school with or grew up with. Right. And that's really because then I think how my narrative in terms of my life can't have been so far removed from these people and yet something has come into their lives and convinced them to go and join this group of people who are just, I don't even have words for what they're mm-hmm. doing. And that, and without empathy, without being able to unpick how someone like Hitler became who he was and did what he did, without being able to unpick the humanity behind people who do these evil acts... Well, how can we fix anything? Right. It's how how do you stop these things from happening? Right. I mean, and that's often like where I come down in these kind of debates as well. It's like or debates or realities for it. That's the thing that they're not debates. They're realities for people. Yeah. And what always happens is somebody says these these are people's lives. Stop talking so theoretically about them. But but I contend that that these theories, these this theoretical framework for them will potentially save lives will potentially have less of these issues so when the media reacts in this knee-jerk anti-minority group way to to a terrorist act then that to me is you know causing much more damage and so if if you if if you if you if we had more empathy and we went right why are these people the way they are let's look at the factors that are creating that we would save more lives and And there's so few people doing that right that's what's so shocking to me there's for example this guy's name's Majid Nawaz and he runs this thing called the Quillam Foundation and he's an ex-fundamentalist right and he's follow him on Twitter uh, I don't don't follow him anymore but I I think if I don't know if you do but he yeah I do I think he, he's great. Like he's. I'm not saying I agree. I'm not. Oh, no, no, no. You know, following someone is never an endorsement. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely true. I don't follow. I agree with everything he says and does, but he works with trying to understand from his own experience and from current experiences how people go in from being moderate to being coming rad- radicalized and wanting to be involved in these groups. Right. And he's one of the only people kind of really looking at what that narrative is and what what people's lives are like that are leading them into these behaviours and how to battle that and how to stop it or how to intervene at a point 
in our communities to stop things going the way they have done. Well, this is exactly the same as my attitude towards like the patriarchy towards men. Like, why are men doing the things they're doing? I'm a man, and some, why are you know, they doing? Like, I, I, I well, <laughs> that, let's find out. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that feminism needs to concern itself with men, but it men, does. Well, in my do opinion, it they does. Do, it yeah. does a bit. Like, Bell Hooks makes that argument, mm. and and I, and I wouldn't. I, I would stand by. I would. Signal boost bell hooks yeah. argument, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel that it's my place to tell women how they should, uh, how they should be dealing with the fact that they're getting systematic oppression. Mm. But but I do think that it is my place potentially to to tell other men for other men to say like why are we doing this like that's our our group that's our people like when that guy shot it's been there's been two different shootings of feminists in in america like when a man does that why like i want to think why why is what are the factors how can we get rid of that how can we save women and men's lives yeah I mean, there's two things what, that I wanted to say. Uh, I'll say the one that's on my mind first. Is that <laughs> talking about it theoretically like this, the way that yeah, we're doing it. so easy. It's, no, it's, it's easy, but at the same time, it makes us sound, it makes myself sound when I put my, when I move myself out of my brain and listen to the conversation we're having. It makes me feel like, oh, you two aren't looking at suffering of the victims. Right. And for me, I wonder whether, because of, the way I was raised, I'm a bit desensitised to suffering. Right. Sounds terrible. <laughs> or whether it's that I believe that the worst thing on earth is human suffering, but if we just if we don't look at how to fix it, then we can't stop it. I'm I'm. It sounds like I'm being theoretical, but actually, what I'm trying to do is stop human suffering. That is my right. end goal. Well, I think but it's seeing easy to suffering, see seeing suffering in my childhood yeah. and experiencing a bit of it, but seeing it uh, with other people has led me to the conclusion that people who create suffering are also suffering. Yes. And so, like, I've seen how hurt people hurt other people. I've been in that cycle. Mm. Um, I've also been lucky enough to see alternatives and have other experiences. And and so maybe maybe I'm I'm very glad and grateful for those elements of my childhood that that gave a nice contrast and taught me that there could be other options. Yeah, I think that it, people do think that when you're talking like this, that you're not you're not thinking about the suffering. Yeah. But I, I, I feel but like I am. I'm trying goal. to. Yeah. Like I, I don't want, I don't want men to suffer. Not just because men suffering hurts them, but because also it, because it hurts their children and their and their wives and their and, and everybody. Like yeah. you know, wives is a their partners their pe- yeah. people who are ha- inhabiting their lives in fact they could be gay right yeah. like th- that is the thing that that, that, that men are still socialised in these complicated ways and we need to for ourselves unpick them a bit yeah. I feel like um, and if we're going to understand and stop these things we have to like go right that is a terrible thing that th- that group is doing why are they doing it how can we stop them how can we, like that's the practical yeah. thing that's the thing that yeah, I think that does care more about the idea of suffering because, yeah, I, I don't... But like, do you see why... Like, I, I agree completely because yeah, no, that's sure. what I've been doing with you for the past hour. I completely agree. But I can hear, like, the voice of someone like my mother, right, saying, if someone hurt my child, 
I would want to punish them. Yeah, I get and that. And I completely empathise with her. I so we have to say, well, why Why yeah. does she feel that? I exactly. mean, this is the thing. It's like, I, I would, and it happens sometimes, but you see it very rarely. Mm. Um, but I think it happens more uh, frequently than we see. I just don't think that the press is that interested in it. But when you have a victim, like of a crime, they very rarely forgive, like publicly say, mm. I, I forgive. And I've heard, you know, I've heard people do it. Mm. And um, it's, and sometimes it, that's, part of what restorative justice is as well is like if you have processes that could enable these this, these conversations then we'd have better a better system but we don't yeah um so you rarely hear people say oh you know my my son was killed but i i the person who killed him was a victim of all of these things and i forgive them and i feel empathy with them and feel sorry for them yeah. right um I don't think that that parent should ever be asked to empathise with somebody else. I mean, we sort of touched on this again, and mm-hmm. I, but I feel like we're we're re-emphasising it because we we just don't want to be misunderstood. Yeah, I think that's it. Because I yeah. feel like we, if it was just me and you having a conversation, that's one thing. Because I think you understand the level that we're operating on, mm. or the the angle that we're coming from. But I am very like acutely aware of how this how this way of speaking about suffering, which is what we are. At its core, that's what we're doing, can be misconstrued as callous. Right, and it's well, it's tricky as well. Like I find that having had a sort of background that makes me kind of more in tune to some of these things, mm. um, and talking about being a true storyteller, so to mm. doing it on stage and telling people about, uh, you know, traumatic childhood events or whatever, or you know, embarrassing things or shocking things about myself, that like, I it's easy to forget. That, people don't live that life right. yeah <laughs> it's easy to forget like yeah. so i will you know i'll always I, I i i always forget that people get really affected if you talk about being like when you're a child being hit right yeah and I, freak out. i'm like i'm like i mean it wasn't a very frequent actual yeah. experience in my life it was actually quite traumatic because of its rarity i think mm. um although i'm not saying that it's better to be hit loads yeah we're not doing but, a, but, right i suffered more than you suffered yeah but but but, but i feel like it's still a, it's like an obvious like for, 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 so a lot of traumatic things generally speaking I feel quite comfortable talking about yeah. them which doesn't mean I don't think that they're bad it just, no it's just that you're I don't know so how to explain I know yeah. exactly what you're talking so about so I always I have to, to think about it. content notes like like you know how just am I going to flag yeah. what do I need to flag up because yeah. when I first kind of got into doing tragedy and all of these things, mm. I didn't think oh, so I need to don't wanna... flag things yeah. up as much because I'm just like, like trigger warnings I'm all right, right, yeah. right. Whereas like, I, you can just talk about it. I'm fine. It doesn't mean it doesn't affect it. me. No, that's the thing, but, right? But, but, you, it does but, affect you, but... It doesn't trigger me. Yeah. And that's the thing. Oh, things that trigger me are, are very rarely right. about that stuff. They're to do with... Other things. Other things, yeah. yeah. Well, just, like, I just feel like because of... I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't that kind of thing. Just being exposed to things very young and in a way that in the, I'm going to say, use this term loosely, that in the West we're not exposed to in the same way is, like when I was, when I was, I was born here, my parents are both Pakistani and they would take us, we lived in Pakistan for a few years and we'd come back and forth between England and there. And then we lived in Saudi Arabia for a few years. So we'd be back and forth between these three, England, Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. And like in Pakistan, we're living in like a nice city. We're living in a place that was like, just like, top-notch poverty like all the best poverty around was collected there and so when you're exposed to that on a daily basis like mind-blowing poverty around you 
and then you kind of move back to England, you're looking around and you're thinking, everyone's problems here are dumb. Like, nothing here. Right. Like, n- from a very young age, right. from, like, age eight or nine, like, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, nope, stop complaining, stop complaining, stop complaining. Right. And then, kind of, the next kind of four or five years, we're cycling between those three countries. So seeing things that are just horrific, and if I describe them to my peers at that age, they would be like, what are you... It would be out of their realm of conceptualizing and then going to Pakistan and that being the norm and having difficult conversations with my parents like why is this person a servant and why can't they do other things why can't why are they indentured why is this at a very young age and them explaining well there's a class system here and this is how this works and we can't change it for these reasons and me saying oh you can change it you have the power to change it and having those questions at a very very young age and then living in England where people are worried oh I really want a Game Boy right that disparity means that now we're, I'm we're so privileged like, people are having the kind of privileged, complicated childhoods that yeah. I have. Right. And that's the irony of it. Like I I feel like um I've got some like some angles on some some kinds of suffering from like being bullied at school and being like uh, having a traumatic childhood. Um and I have got some insights, but they're nowhere near like the same insights, like or as complicated insights as what you're talking about. Like being able to so that, I guess it means you're likely to be able to be more callous about a larger range yeah, of things. Yeah, and that's scary to me. <laughs> <laughs> but just because it was a matter of... I was acutely aware at a very young age that, oh, this is what life is. And that huge disparity is, exists, and that's how the world is um, from the start. Right. And seeing things so so hugely disparate, ways that I can't even... In fact, the area has improved now from when I was a kid. but So it was worse then. And some of the things I saw and couldn't explain... Oh, and one example, a recent example, I have a second cousin, or three cousins kind of removed, but all kind of families are a bit generalising, but kind of live together. He was in a motorcycle accident. He kind of... His arm was... His arm was through his flesh, out of his body. His face was completely mangled. He was on the side of the road for about 36 hours because no one thought to help him because that's just the way that, that people there live. And to explain that to someone here, and then when he came to he came to England to work for a short time and kind of get some experience and see what England was like, and they provide him with healthcare and they're like, oh, we're going to do everything we can to get you healthy, and he was like, why? Why would you do that? And he didn't understand that that's a mode of operating. And to be acutely aware of those things that if an accident happened here, I would stop and try and help the person if it was a huge accident. Right. If I saw someone on the side of the street bleeding out, I would stop and I'd call the authorities and try to help. But I'm aware and have been aware for a long time that that's not how it works everywhere. And when you see things like that quite early on, like the world here doesn't didn't make sense to me for a long time. I was like, I just don't understand how, why is anyone upset about anything? Right. <laughs> for a long time I used to think that. And so it took a while for me to be able to empathise with privilege. And now do you have the, I mean, do you, but at the same time as you, you knew that, were you also getting frustrated with the petty small things? Oh, absolutely. And like, it would take me weeks, <laughs> it would take me weeks at a time to settle back into the new country I'd gone into. Right. So I'd come back from Pakistan and I'd be in England and I'd get really upset because all my friends were going out to the cinema and my parents were quite strict and they didn't want me to go out with like a mixed group of girls with if there were any boys around, that kind of thing. At a young age, like 13, 14, they wouldn't, didn't want me to go to the cinema with those people. And that, that, would, that was my biggest fucking problem, you know? I was like, oh, why can't I go and hang out with my friends and watch a movie? And a week ago, I was in sobbing in tears because I saw a man on the side of the street like who didn't have who was like riddled with polio right. and could barely move and that was his whole life 
And I was like, why can't we help this person? Two weeks later, I'm crying because I can't go to the cinema. Right. And putting those things together it's was... Very, yeah, yeah, that's very strange. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's def- I feel like it's always definitely very strange in childhood when you've got these kind of, yeah, dual realities. Like mm. Kind of very different kind of dual reality, but definitely like... <laughs> Yeah, they didn't feel like they touched each other. They were completely... Like, one of my views of the world was a complete, like, it's hell where everyone's shouting and screaming and and, and, and scary. And the other one was, like, a kind of dream, wonderful, like, spoiled, perfect... Fantasy. Ev- yeah, it was a strange uh, yeah. dual reality, but nothing like... Uh, your one but whose dual reality is going to be the same yeah exactly that is impossible yeah wow this has been a fascinating uh, (laughs) conversation and i wish i yeah i wish it could carry on forever but uh it probably it's already been quite long Um, but that's fine uh, with me i feel like it's been a really deep one like for me anyway i've really enjoyed it yeah me too and hopefully the audience will too um but the last uh, question that i ask everybody is do you have anything to plug uh, oh gosh, okay, I can plug things. Uh, <laughs> I have a podcast of my own. Yeah. And uh, it's not as philosophical as this one. Um, I don't know. It's about books. Right. Just about books. And I do it with another person, her name's Sadaf Fahim, and she's a researcher. And she researches American literature and satire and kind of the jazz age. And she's really very interesting and highbrow and right. smart. So it's kind of like an academic and a com- comedian yeah, come just, together precisely to talk about books. Exactly that. And <laughs> an hour a week. And we just kind of go everywhere with it, but it's all literature-based and we talk about kind of other pop culture as well. But it's it's a lot of fun. We've got some nice feedback and we hope that more people listen to us. It's called the Turtle Book Club Podcast. Yeah. You can find us on iTunes and our website is turtlebookclub.com. Well, I've listened to, I think, a couple of episodes yeah. and I've enjoyed them. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, and the last thing I ask my guests to do uh, is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, well, goodbye. Thank you for having me. And, uh... Please take everything we said into consideration. (laughs) And we're good people after all. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We're good people after all. Bye, everyone. So if you want to find more Bisha as well as her podcast, you can check out her website, which is www.bishakali.com. And if you're going to Edinburgh this year, you should absolutely look out for her and see if you can find her there. Edinburgh this year has had some complications for people who are trying to do comedy at the free fringes and Fisher may very well have been affected by that. The details on the Fringe website at the moment for her show Ridiculous may very well change. She might not even make it up there. I don't know what's her situation. With all of these complications, all I can say is that it's not her fault and it's not the fault of many other artists like her that they've been messed around in this way and my sympathy goes out to all of them. She may be there though, so you should definitely keep an eye out for what she's doing and go and see it if you can. If you follow her at Bisher K. Ali on Twitter, you may very well get the latest information from her Twitter feed. Luckily for me, I haven't been caught up in all of that stuff, which is again another example of my many privileges. My solo show that I refer to in this episode is happening at the Cabaret Voltaire 12.05 every day apart from Mondays from the 8th till the 30th of August and you can find out more about that show and the survey of a thousand men that I did as research for the show at www.mansplainingmasculinity.com. 
I'm also taking my variety show Stand Up Tragedy back up to the Edinburgh Festival. We'll be happening every day at 7.30 at the Banshee Labyrinth, apart from Tuesdays when, instead of Stand Up Tragedy, it'll be Getting Better Acquainted and I'll be doing live versions of this show in front of an audience that you could be a member of. The rest of the time at 7.30, something tragic will be happening and we've got a really good lineup of special editions of the show. So if you come along at 7.30, you'll either see five different performers from different parts of the arts doing the usual variety show that we do at Stand Up Tragedy or you'll see special editions which will have guest hosts or guest collaborations and there's a load of those and they're really exciting and interesting and you should check out Stand Up Tragedy website www.standuptragedy.com standuptragedy.co.uk a little bit nearer the time and all of that information will be there or if you make friends with Stand Up Tragedy on Facebook and check out the events all of the details are already up and we've got some really amazing collaborations please 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 check out what we're doing come along and enjoy the tragedy it's a safe space to talk about unsafe things where we try to make you cry until you laugh and laugh until you cry Follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook, subscribe to it pretty much anywhere that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted. 